opportunity to be together this morning. It is a privilege, Lord, and uh, so many in this, this world are unable to do so freely. Lord, would we not take it for granted, Lord? Would we just in this moment recognize that privilege and recognize in this moment that we can do so because of your shed blood on the cross, Jesus? that you have made a way, reconciliation with our heavenly Father because of a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, uh, as we look into the subject of money this morning, as we continue uh, to finish off where we started last week, I just pray that you would open our hearts to your truths, that you would protect our minds from the enemy that would come to distract us, and to cause offense, no doubt. I pray, Lord, that there would be fruit from this talk. And Lord, would you help me? Would you please, God, help me to convey your truth with grace and with love? I ask in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Mm. So, uh, you've all got one of these? Some of you have, some of you haven't. If you haven't got one of these, they are in the atrium over there. But this is our REACH brochure, as Freya said at the start of the service. And uh, we have been in uh, a series called REACH, which is on the screen, uh, about the vision of this church. And I launched REACH last year as way of a mini recap uh, about uh, what the plans were for the next 10 years. And essentially, it's responding to that call of the Lord to extend our REACH to REACH the lost. And... Um, I, uh, sorry, I've just been distracted by Mel had a cup on her head. So, uh, so I was just taking it down. That was very good. I was quite impressed with how you balanced that, Mel. Very good. Um, extended our reach to reach the lost. It's about the fact that we as a church, not just here in St. Albans, but globally, the church ha is a missional body, isn't it? We are on a mission to make Christ known. And, you know, as we, since Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday, all the way up to the present day, 2,000 years, people have been making Christ known. I mean, you are here because someone has made Christ known to you. Is that correct? Yeah. And so you have your part to play to carry on. And we looked at that mission as a church and the danger of a church where we can get really comfortable. You know, oh, it's a nice place. We get good coffee. We've got nice donuts. The music's great. And the danger with that is the enemy would want us to camp here and create a cul-de-sac off the highway of that great commission. And it's always good as a church to remind ourselves that we are not here for comfort. We are here to be extending Christ's kingdom. And inherently with that, you are going to feel uncomfortable. If you're not feeling a little bit uncomfortable in your walk with the Lord and being, and being kind of stepping into things out with faith and feeling like you're stretching and having to sacrifice, if you're not feeling any of those things, then may I say in love as your pastor, maybe you're not growing with the Lord as you should. Because it's in those, it's in those places where we are extending ourselves that we grow in Christ, Right? And I let you into a little secret last week about REACH, um, because REACH, the slogan is extending our REACH to REACH the lost. But here's the secret of REACH. It's also about extending ourselves to grow in Christ. You see, REACH is a double-sided objective. 
Because God in his grace and his mercy will always give us as a people, if we are, remain good stewards, opportunities to extend ourselves, to grow in him. This is a God-given discipleship program, Reach. And you, therefore, have your part to play in this. This is not a spectator sport. If, you, if you're visiting, you know, we want you to feel welcome here. But I want you to know from the get-go that this isn't a place that you just turn up and consume and leave. This is a place where you join as the body of Christ, as a church family, on a mission to make Christ known. And clearly, I'm not going to find you this morning and get you to sign up to all the amazing teams we have right now. I'll save that for next week. But we are all here on a mission together. And so how are we going to extend our reach to reach the lost? By creating places for people to encounter Jesus. Well done. I know it's on the screen before someone points it out to me. But this is what, this is our strategy, if you like. This is how we're going to do this. Creating spaces and places for people to encounter Jesus. Because, and I know I'm reminding you of this every week, and we've got one more talk next week, and then we're out of reach, and we've got some amazing speakers coming up, such as Sally Davison speaking to us shortly, which would be great. In a couple of weeks' time, we've got Edward as well, who heads up our youth, kids, and now young adults. Uh, so you, you'll have a break from me soon. You'll be pleased to hear. But it's all... Oh, that's so kind. I'm touched. Thank you for that. Well, you're my wife. You have to say that. But I hear it. Um, but it's all about Jesus. We're not here to create an experience for people to get hooked on. We're here to create a space so people can encounter Jesus for themselves, right? Hands up, but you don't have to put your hand up. Who's encountered Jesus? And what's your testimony? Has your life been transformed? Yeah? That's what we want for other people because, you know, the reality is, is that there are people out there heading to an eternal separation from God. And I know we don't like to get to the nuts and bolts of it, but it's called hell. Man, did a preacher talk about hell? Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? I heard about a preacher, a pastor recently, uh, that, was, that was decided now there is no hell, and he's preaching this. What's the point then? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Universalism is a terrible uh, heresy will always lead to Christ, to God, and, well, that just nullifies the gospel. I don't know why he bothers preaching on a Sunday, quite frankly. I don't know what he's going to preach about. And I say that in love to my brother who's doing that. But listen, let's just, Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you a better life, although there is fruit in your walk with Christ. He didn't give you, he didn't die on the, Christ, uh, on the cross so that you can have fun all the time, although we want to have fun in this place. He died on the cross because your soul is on the line. And I feel like sometimes we, this is me, and I'm preaching to me at the moment, and this is all off script. But I'm like, Mark, you're a pastor for a reason. You're here to care for the flock, to nurture them, and to proclaim the gospel. What did Paul say? I'm not afraid of the gospel of God because it's the power of God until salvation. Like, we've got to get back to the reality that we need to save souls. I feel like sometimes we're more interested in saving everything else other than souls. I mean, we've got to be good stewards of the planet, but I know people who are more concerned about saving the planet than saving souls. I mean, don't get me wrong and don't mishear me. I'm not saying it's unimportant. But we are here on a mission to save souls. And as a church, that has been our story for the past 35 plus years. 
And so that's a long way around to say reach is our 10-year vision to create spaces and places for people to encounter Jesus because the time is short and we've got to have a sense of urgency about this. Spaces, we looked at uh, last year, we did the, the youth auditorium, we did Ventureland space, special educational needs, treasure chest ministry, many other spaces, places, Hatfield we launched. And this year, we looked at all the new spaces and places we're launching, which are really exciting. New young, young adults ministry, Connect Lounge that we've got, uh, and, the, and the site in the mount in a prison. So much to be grateful to God for about what's happening. And that brings me full circle, or should I say, to the point of this morning, which is about everyone gets to play. And I looked at the subject of money last week, and uh, in God's providence and sovereignty, he didn't want me to preach all of it in one go. I mean, technically I couldn't, because I looked up and it said 10.53, and I'd only got halfway. So if you're joining us, uh, you're going to have to, for the first time, or you missed last week, you're going to have to recap. But we looked at the powerful subject of money, and the fact that the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is a tool, but it's a terrible tyrant. And we looked at a key verse that we're going to start with, which is found in Matthew 6, 19, 21. Why don't you just turn with me um, to that scripture? It'll be on the screen, and if you're online at home, uh, it will be on whatever device you are viewing this. Uh, let's read it together. It says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to this. For where your treasure is, can we all say this together? There your heart will be also. And what is that treasure? Jesus goes on to say, You cannot serve both God and money. You see, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And your heart is the, is, the, is the true north of your life. It's the thing that will direct your affections. And so if your treasure is in earthly, material, monetary things and in money itself, then you will always feel as if you have a divided heart in terms of your devotion towards Jesus. Because God will require of you to trust him in spite of the money around. He will require of you to sacrifice your money for the sake of his kingdom and in worship. And so therefore, if your treasure is in money, when these things come up, you're gonna feel a real pull. And that's why Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And so last week, we looked at the four lies of money. Anyone remember those? I won't ask you to get to the front and tell me what they are. A few of you put your hands up. Now that I've told you, you didn't have to come up. Good. Number one, money will, the lie of, of money is this. Money will bring you happiness, fulfill you. That's the lie of money. We unpack what that looks like. It's such a subtle lie. Number two, money will give you status and identity. That's the other lie of money. A telltale sign that your treasure is there. You know, if only I could purchase this, I will feel as if I'm successful. Or I will be accepted because I have this, that, and so. Number three, and as I said last week, the true reality is, is that our identity is finding Christ. Number three, the lie of money is just a little more money will be enough. When John D. Rockefeller, who uh, a very famous uh, oil baron in the 19th century, if you look at uh, his worth today, if you would take inflation into account, would be worth $360 billion, makes... Uh, it makes Elon Musk's 165 billion look small and insignificant, doesn't it? 
But when asked, when John D. Rockefeller was asked the question, how much money is enough? He answered, just a little bit more. But that is the lie of money, you see. Because as I said last week, whatever you serve, whatever you worship other than God, you'll be in bondage to. You see, we have been created to worship God. And in that place, we find freedom, okay? Free to be all that God created us to be. But if you worship something other than God, you'll be in bondage to that thing. Whether it's a celebrity, you'll be in bondage to that. Whether it's money, money, the fruit of bondage is fear and anxiety. You know, if you're wondering whether you are worshiping money, and what I mean by worship is that it takes a central place in your heart. If you're experiencing fear and anxiety about money, it could be that you're in bondage to money. And if you're feeling that, I want to be sensitive about this subject, I'd encourage you to seek the Lord on this. And as I shared last week, and I have been very honest as I've talked about money these past five years, this is a weakness for me. My bank balance can seriously dictate how I feel each day and week and month. That for me is a sign that I am worshipping money, that it's taking a place in my heart of lordship when actually that place should be Christ's alone. If I choose to listen to what money tells me about my security, then I'm going to feel fearful and anxious. But if I make a choice to listen to what God tells me about my future, then I'll have freedom. Do you understand that? Uh, And number four, the other lie of money is money is more trustworthy than God. And that's kind of what I've been reflecting on. So those were the four lies. And this brings us to the second part of the talk, which is the truths of giving, the four truths of giving. And I touched on this, I I kind of whetted your appetite last week with a bit of a, uh, with the first one, which is this, it positions us for his blessing. Now, let's look, I want to look at two scriptures, and I looked at this last week, and I would like us to unpack this together. The first one is Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim, brim over with new wine. Second Corinthians 9 to 6. The point is this. This is what Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, we cannot get away from a truth that there is a correlation between how you give and how you receive. Now, the danger with this, and we see it in in the church globally, is that you can take a kingdom principle like this and turn it into a worldly formula. If you sow one pound, you'll get 10 pounds back. If you give this ministry a thousand pounds, I feel a word from the Lord to say you'll get 10,000 over the next two years. And we've heard this. This is what happens, you see, when your treasure is in the world because you then look for scriptures to justify it and you come up with a worldly formula. Now, the problem with this is, is that the rest of the church who don't agree with that positioning won't even touch the subject for fear of offense or confusion. But in so doing, what we've done is we've done you a disservice and not talked about a kingdom principle of sowing and reaping. 
Do you understand what I'm kind of saying here? And what I'm not saying here, I don't want you to think that the pastor is saying, listen, every time you give a pound, you'll get X back. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you live your life like this, you'll never receive like this. You try receiving when your hands are like this, you can't. You see, blessings from God are a revelation of his heart to us. Did you know that? God's blessings to us are a revelation of his heart to us, aren't they? You know, you know it with your friends or family. When you bless someone with a gift, you're revealing to them your heart for them, aren't you? And so God is wanting to reveal his heart to us in blessings, but how can he when we do this with our own hearts? And you see, the whole point about money is that it's not a subject of the notes and the coins, it's a subject of where our heart is. And so God wants a generous people in order that he can pour into us. And the reality is, I have heard so many testimonies of people that said, when I started tithing, God started to show up in miraculous ways and provide for my needs. I'm not suggesting that everyone got a check in the post. I'm suggesting that the blessings of God were opened upon them. May I read this again? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given unto you. You see, the problem is we've, what sin has done is turned God's kingdom upside down, and so what we think is the opposite is true. Seek first my needs here, and then I will be able to serve God. I've said that before, when God's called me to something. I will do that, Lord, once I have secured my needs and my foundations, and then I will seek your kingdom. But God is saying here, no, no, Jesus is saying, listen, do it the other way around. If you make a choice to seek me in spite of what you have and make a choice to be obedient and walk in faith, not by sight, I'll show up and I'll supply your needs. Of course, the problem is we don't know the difference between needs and wants, do we? I mean, that's the problem with this really, isn't it? What we've done is we've taken our needs and we've kind of extended it to the, to the mobile phone upgrade and the new car. I've done it myself or to the designer clothes, or to whatever it might be. So that's therefore our need. But Jesus is saying, seek ye first my kingdom, and it will be given unto you. Uh, you know, Anne Frank said this, no one ever became poor by giving. Good point. Being generous yields more to us than we could ever imagine. I want to encourage you to be generous and to open up your hands. Open up your hands to God and to his people around you because then God can pour into you. Number two, number two of truth of giving, it's part of our worship. It glorifies God when we give him our money. One of the conversations I've had, and I know many of you probably have had this, is, is the tithe law? And therefore, because we're not in the law, does that mean that we don't need to tithe? Anyone, you've probably heard that, right? I... I want to answer that question, not by being legalistic and saying, yes, you have to tithe. I want to get to the principle of tithing 
And actually, what we see in the principle of tithing is that it is pre-law. In other words, it's before the Mosaic law. It's before the covenant with Abraham. It goes way back. And it goes back into Genesis 14, 20. Now, when you, if you have time, read this at home. We don't have time for it this morning. What happened is, is that uh, Abraham had just won the battle against the king of Elam. And all of a sudden, Melchizedek, who was the high priest of God, shows up to bless Abraham. And in response of worship and thankfulness to God for the victory, Abraham, before he was called Abraham, gives Melchizedek a tithe, which literally means 10%. He did that out of thankfulness and worship to God for the victory that came. So a tithe isn't even part of the law. So let's not have a conversation about whether the tithe is law or not. It was pre-law because the principle of a tithe is that it is worship. Here's the thing, and I love the way Scripture harmonizes with each other, with itself. We read in Hebrews that Jesus is now our high priest, it says, in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? We give our tithe to Jesus. Why? Because the victory on the cross is for each one of us. You see that? If Abraham gave a 10% to Melchizedek because he beat an army, how much more do you think our hearts should overflow in giving to Jesus our high priest because of the victory on the cross? Tithe is our first fruits. It is saying, Lord, I want to give you the best because you gave me your best, Jesus, and he died on the cross for my victory. That is the purpose of the tithe. It's part of our worship. Good. Moving on. Number three, it extends God's kingdom. That's the truth of giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, listen to this one, you will abound in every good work. Ooh, isn't that interesting? So hold on a minute. Is Peter tying up the blessing with the requirement for us to do good works? Yes, he is. Isn't the the gospel message about grace, not by works? Absolutely. You are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your way to heaven. Jesus did it for you on the cross. But an evidence of your faith, as it says in James, is good works. It's fruit. And what God is saying here through the Apostle Peter is that God is able to, in other words, he's willing and ready for you to make that decision to do it. He's able to bless you to do good works when you say, I'm going to seek first his kingdom. You see? You see, the money that God gives us is there to extend his kingdom. And that's what REACH is about. REACH is a discipleship program that God gives us to extend ourselves to grow in Christ. Number four. I really don't want to do a part three on this talk, so I'm going to have to carry on. It grows our faith. We read in 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16. I haven't got time to read it this morning when Elijah went to, um, was it Elijah or Elisha? It was Elijah. 
He went to the, to the widow. There was a drought that came on the land. And God said, listen, there's a widow there. She's going to give you some food. The widow said, listen, I'm just getting some sticks to make a last meal for my son and I. We've got this little bit of flour, a little bit. And, and, and essentially, uh, God said to Elijah, you know, go bless her and, and ask for the bread. And she said, okay. And it was extended and extended and extended. What that signifies to us, and it's a principle that I think we need to understand, is that if God calls you to do something, like give your money for a cause or to bless somebody in that way, he will provide the means to do that. That's what it means to live by faith and not by sight. That's what it means to be obedient to the calling of God in your life. You know, when Steph and I, when God called Steph and I into ministry, we had to make some decisions to change our lifestyle and our income change and all that kind of stuff. But we said, we believe, Lord God, for your, that you will supply our needs because we're going to put the focus on following the call that you've laid on us first. And I can tell you right now, God has never let us down. And I want to tell you right now, God will never let you down. Do you know God owns the 1,000 cattle on a hill? You, can, you know, my... A couple of times, my boy, used, uh, one of my girls said, Daddy, how much money have you got in your bank? Fair question. Darling, I'm not going to tell you that. But no, but uh, have you got enough? Oh, bless you. You're very kind for asking, but you don't need to know. But you've got enough. You know, I feel like sometimes, God, have you got enough in there? How much have you got actually? You know, just, if you could show me a bank statement, I'd appreciate it dangerous. Listen, you don't need to know, but I can tell you this, he's got enough. So you focus on following the call that God's laid on your life, and he'll focus on bringing the abundance to you where you need that. All right, I think we're going to carry on. Okay, so we looked at the four truths of giving. Let me just summarize for us all before I try and bring this plane to a land without too many bumps. Number one, it positions us for his blessing. Number two, it's part of our worship. It's inherently part of our worship. You know, it says in Romans 12:1, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. That is your act of spiritual worship. Our act of worship is in response to the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And if we can't give him our first fruits, what can we give? Number three, extends God's kingdom. It's part of his kingdom plans, that we're part of that. Number four, it grows our faith. Okay, so let me end with this. How do we respond and give to God? Three areas. Number one, tithe. I already looked at this. I'm not going to spend time on this. You know, Adrian Rogers, who was a famous evangelist and pastor in the US, said, God doesn't need us to give him our money. He owns everything. Tithing is God's way to grow Christians. It's part of our worship. It grows us. It is a declaration, and sometimes I pray this at the offering. It's a way in which we declare that we put our trust in God, not in our money. It's a way that breaks a spirit of poverty when we construct our lives around the tithe. And if you've got a question of whether it's pre-tax or tax or post-tax, or no, uh, if it's after tax or before tax, let me just say what Jesus said. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Not give to Caesars what's Caesars, and then whatever's left over, then you take 10% from that, just to clarify. Because I know it's, a, it's an important question, but I hope that scriptural reference has helped you. But we give our tithes to God, and 
I want to just say this. Listen, I don't want you to walk out of here in shame and guilt in bondage because I know the reality of life is it's not always easy. Start small. You know, because it's pre- you're not under the law. In other words, God's not going to come up and, and, and check your bank balance every month and beat you over the head if you haven't given your tithe. He wants you to tithe so that you can experience the blessings and, and he wants to receive your worship. We want to give glory to him. And there's benefit with that. But he's not going to bash you over the head if, if, if you haven't done. And so I want to say this, just start small. Maybe it's 1%. That's the start for you. Bless you in that. Maybe then it's 2%. Maybe 5%. I think 10% is a good target. And actually, I pray that I'll get to a position where I can do more than 10%. And we'll look at ways we can do over and above our tithe. But I, I want to say this. I want you to feel free in this, but I want you to feel an excitement about it in your, in your spirit and in your heart. Okay? Number two, offerings. So a tithe is that 10%, we build our lives around that, but offering is over and above. There was a quote uh, from a guy called Fred Smith that says, for some rich Christians in America, and you can say rich Christians in the West, tithing is an excuse not to give generously. Ooh, it's a tick-the-box exercise. Phew, I'd have my 10%. Thank you, God. Right. But actually, we read in the Bible, there's an offering over a tithe. You know, when Ezra, in Ezra, the book of Ezra, the priest Ezra, they were built, they came out of Babylon and they were rebuilding the walls and people gave to that project over and above the tithe. God is going to give you discipleship programs like Reach. And we're going to look at this in a moment. You say, man, this is the, the biggest lead up to a, 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 um, a donor request I've ever heard. No, it's not about that. But God will always put in your path opportunities to offer over and above your tithe because where there's a spirit of generosity, it will bless others and it will bless you. And number three, acts of righteousness. This is specifically to people. So, you know, when you've put, you know, like a, like a, a, um, a note, some money in an envelope and given it to someone they don't know who it's from, or you've given someone a gift because they really needed some financial support, whatever that might be, those are acts of righteousness. And you know what generosity releases generosity. Kindness releases kindness. You know, if you look out for opportunities to bless others, not only would you be a blessing to them, but those people would then be a blessing to others. There is something contagious about generosity. And the enemy does not want generous Christians. Because if there were generous Christians, the world would be transformed. Can I invite the band up as I, as I bring this to land? So, as I said at the start, Reach has a double, dual, secret purpose, which is not only is it outward looking, extending our reach to reach the lost, but it's also about extending ourselves to growing Christ. And I want to say that Reach, like we've done, you know, as a church over the past 30 years, we have collectively offered over two million pounds to these discipleship programs. Yeah. Two million. Two million people who have sacrificed and who have given to extend God's kingdom and to grow in faith and to be generous. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a generation that misses out on that opportunity and the blessings. You're sitting here because some of you have sown into this and prior have given and those that have left us have sown into this in such a way that lives are changed in terms of what we do in this building and beyond. And I want us all to have that opportunity. Last year, we launched the REACH Fund. REACH Fund is an ongoing fund that we use to fund all of our REACH initiatives. And last year, we raised 
a considerable amount of money that made next door a reality. And we're seeing uh, youth's lives are changed and those with special educational needs. We're seeing people in Hatfield's lives changed because we've extended our reach. And so this year is another opportunity to go again. And we're raising this year, and in the brochure, you'll be able to find this information. But we're looking to raise 180,000 pounds. Small fry, right? I mean, we raised more last year in terms of what we, our target was. And I want to give you an opportunity to be part of creating a legacy. I want to give you an opportunity to sow into something bigger than yourselves. I want to give you an opportunity to extend yourselves so that you can grow in Christ. And, you know, maybe, and Steph and I continually have these kind of conversations and we need to continue to do so. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to sacrifice three coffees a week and I'm going to just put that money in a jar and I'm going to pledge that. Maybe it's rather than having two takeaways a month, I'll have one. Maybe you say, Mark, I don't have any takeaways. You know, it's not about equal amounts, it's about equal sacrifice. It's about saying, are we all in this together? Are we going to do something beyond ourselves that's going to change this area and region for Christ so that we can save souls? That's what this is about. And so I want you to prayerfully consider how you can be part of this. On the back of this brochure is a pledge form. Simply fill it in. Tear it off and you can pop it in the welcome desk either this week or next week. But how do you do this? Pray, 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 pray. Saying, Lord, what part have I got in this? What are you calling me to do as it relates to finances? And then make a commitment. You know, good desires and ideas are great, but without commitment, they're nothing. And then trust God and see what he does with your loaves and fishes. Can we all stand as I pray? Thank you, Jesus.